0: What cybersecurity lessons should security leaders be learning from the Russia-Ukraine conflict? And the postmortem of Okta's data breach debacle. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. More than 75 days after Russia invaded Ukraine, what cybersecurity lessons should security leaders be learning from the conflict? That's been a topic under discussion at this week's Cyber UK Conference in Wales, held annually by Britain's National Cybersecurity Center. Matthew Schwartz is the executive editor of Data Breach today and for Europe, and he joins me now to discuss the conference. Matt, what have you been hearing?
1: Well, as you noted, Anna, we're well into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Cyber UK is a great event in part because it gathers government cybersecurity czars and intelligence officials. And it's always fascinating to hear their takeaways from the top events of the day. And of course, the Russia-Ukraine war is probably amongst the top of those events and has been a frequent point of discussion, not just in terms of the takeaways, for cybersecurity leaders, but also some of the surprises that these officials are seeing. And surprise number one, I think everyone can probably agree, would be the fact that on the cybersecurity front, we haven't seen anything yet that looks like cyber war. So a National Security Agency official in attendance, Rob Joyce, says that he's counted at least eight different strains of Wiper malware. And there's also been a number of different attacks targeting Ukraine and beyond. Here's Jeremy Fleming, the director of Britain's GCHQ intelligence and cybersecurity agency in his opening keynote speech Tuesday at Cyber UK. Perhaps the concept of a cyber war was overhyped, but there's plenty of cyber about, including a range of activity we and partners have already attributed to Russia. We've seen what looks like spillover activity that has affected other countries. And we've seen indications that Russia's cyber operatives continue to look for targets in countries that are opposing their actions.
0: And what else is taking conference speakers by surprise?
1: So on Tuesday, there was a great panel discussion involving the aforementioned government cybersecurity czars, not just from Britain, but also the US, Australia, and the EU. And all of them agreed. One of the most big surprises of the conflict has been the role played by hacktivists. Hacktivism, you may remember, used to be big back around 2010, 2011, and then it fizzled out. But with the conflict, we've seen it come storming back. Here's Abigail Bradshaw. She's head of Australia's Cyber Security Center, which is part of the country's Signals Directorate. One
2: aspect that took us by surprise though was the emergence of these um, cyber civil civil vigilantes we call them and the scale of them and I mean there's some reports about 300,000 you know on any one day you might have 59 issues group on on the side of Ukraine and 20 odd on the side of Russia the numbers change on a day by day basis but the public engagement in that course by the actors and the capacity for that to actually introduce extreme unpredictability, the the opportunities for spillover and actually for wrongful attribution and retribution and escalation, which in our world is is, highly problematic. I think the emergence of those, it's worth analyzing and calling them out, the new sort of behaviors that break those global norms, which we hold so dear.
0: What lessons should chief security officers be learning from Ukraine? Great question. I
1: mean, we've seen hacktivism resurge. Is that really gonna be a corporate threat, for example? That remains to be seen. Also, we haven't seen a huge number of attacks emanating from Russia. Although, as GCHQ's Jeremy Fleming noted, Russia is targeting critics of Putin, So there's things to be aware of there. But taking those two takeaways into account, as well as the other items that have been under discussion, the big lesson to be learned here is the importance of resilience. All of the cybersecurity officials that I've seen speak have praised Ukraine for the fact that it's been targeted by a very major cyber adversary, namely Russia. And Ukraine has not been knocked down, far from it. Here's Rob Joyce, I mentioned him before. He's director of the NSA's cybersecurity directorate. And he said in a panel discussion at the conference, Ukraine's ability to resist repeated Russian efforts to destroy its systems and to hamper its critical infrastructure is not happenstance.
3: Oh, it's very clear, a number of wipers, uh I can think of at least eight unique variants of wipers that have been deployed against Ukraine. And they've responded, kept their systems up, rebuilt their systems. But I think one of the things they've done is they have emergency plans having been under pressure for years. It hasn't been just this crisis, but they have been able to, to practice and they understand what good incident response is and they're able to then um, recover. And I think having a practice plan as well as the recovery plan is a really vital um, lesson we should all take.
1: Other officials also hammered this point home. Here's Lindy Cameron, CEO of Britain's National Cybersecurity Center.
2: Certainly, that's one of the, the lessons I'd love the, the public to learn from this, is that you don't need to be passive in response to this. Actually, there's stuff that you can do. Please get on with it as fast as possible. And, but, you know, you, you can be active in your own cyber defense. I think it is a, it's a really important lesson to people that even in the face of a, you know, a significant state adversary, you, know, that, then you don't, need to, don't need to freeze in the headlights. So, so I think it's a, it's a great lesson to take away. And it's been very impressive. We've also been very proud to be, um, to be assisting um, the Ukrainians with that. And I know other colleagues uh, have as well.
1: So there you have it. Incident response remains essential. Resilience and planning to be able to survive and recover from attacks, in part by not just planning, but rehearsing those plans, also remains essential. And in Cameron's words, we know these things. Now, please just get on with it as fast as possible. Wise words
0: indeed. Thanks, Matt.
1: Thank you, Anna.
4: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: How did a minor security event become a customer relationship headache? Well, perhaps identity management vendor Okta has a few thoughts. Jeremy Kirk, our managing editor of Security and Technology, revisits one of the most talked about breaches of the year so far.
5: Recently, a group calling itself Lapsus went on a hacking spree. It released source code from Microsoft and T-Mobile and data from other companies, including Samsung and NVIDIA. Then in March, Lapsus claimed a high-profile victim, Okta, one of the most popular identity management vendors that counts big-name clients around the world. Lapsus claimed to have powerful access and published incriminating screenshots that appeared to support its claims. The problem was, nearly none of it was actually true. But it caused major headaches for Okta as its customers feared their identity access systems might be at risk. Luckily, those systems were not, but the optics really looked bad. Brent Winterford is regional chief security officer with Okta and APJ. Uh, When
3: those screenshots were published, most people took what they said on,
5: on, on face value. At the center of the drama was a company called Cytel, which was Okta's customer service support contractor. In January, Lapsus briefly gained access to a thin client session of one of Cytel's customer support engineers, but the access wasn't nearly as powerful as the group claimed. Here's Winterford again.
3: And so they were able to click around for a bit, take some screenshots. That session was 25 minutes. Um, Out of five days on being on the Cytel network, they they were basically able to do this shoulder surfing exercise for 25 minutes. They attempted a few things, um, but those, The actions that they attempted didn't result in any account compromise or configuration changes.
5: Cytel hired a top-notch forensics firm to investigate the incident, but it still hadn't provided the report to Okta when Lapsa suddenly dumped the screenshots on Telegram in March. That left Okta in the lurch. Winterford says Okta was confident its customers didn't need to take action such as resetting passwords, but it still didn't have the full data or logs from CyTel. And when CyTel did send the report, they mistakenly sent it to Okta's procurement department. Winterford says Okta should have more aggressively pursued obtaining the report.
3: Now that was a mistake, right? We followed up on several occasions trying to get more information but at the end of the day we were way too patient
5: winterford says the incident highlights the importance of having visibility into the systems of third-party partners when a security incident happens otherwise there's what he calls a log jam of information where one party is dependent on another party to finish their part of an investigation it's a tough problem to solve but one that many companies are facing with breaches that touch their partners as well Winterford says if Okta had good data and logs from Cytel early on, the situation wouldn't have snowballed into the event that it did. For what it's worth, Okta cut Cytel loose after the incident. Here's Winterford again. No one
3: sees a distinction between a third party support provider and Okta. They see an Okta application in those screenshots. What really matters to me is visibility, our ability to respond in that moment and say things with absolute confidence. And and I think that if we'd have come out within 12 hours and being at with a technical blog post that really walked people through exactly the extent to what the threat actor could and could not have viewed, this would have been over in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's down to visibility, right? You, you've got to put yourself in a position where you're not relying on your comms team to, to, to put out a fire, that you actually have the visibility to say the things with confidence that you need to
5: say. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.
0: Finally, the FIDO Alliance had some big news this week. FIDO, which is focused on providing open and free authentication standards to help reduce the world's reliance on passwords, announced that Apple, Google and Microsoft have joined forces to support the newest developments in the FIDO protocol. Co-founder of the Better Identity Coalition, Jeremy Grant, told our Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, just how big a watershed moment this is since FIDO's creation.
4: I think it's the inflection point that's going to allow us to finally make passwordless login by default. You know, people talk for years about killing the password. When I was running the NSTIC program at NIST, we talked about part of our mission was shoot the password dead. Part of it has been getting to this point where you not only have standards but also buy-in. And I think that latter part's really important. Already today, given the embrace you've seen by the three big platforms and, you know, other big tech companies and banks and chip makers and others, it's literally impossible to go buy a device today uh, running an operating system for Microsoft, Apple, or Google that doesn't support FIDO out of the box in the device, at the operating system level, at the browser. But now the buy-in at this next step to enable these multi-device credentials and actually make it easy and practical for consumers to you know, log in with asymmetric public key cryptography, that's the real news here, is that they're all saying, we're not going to compete against each other on this point, or they might compete in the details of the implementation, But we're all going to agree to collaborate here because all three of those companies and I think a lot of others involved in Fido Alliance realize that for the, the health of the security ecosystem, killing passwords really has to be the priority. And so this is, you know, from my perspective, a big step forward.
0: That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.